Happy Mother's Day. All right, how many of you haven't called your mom? All right. Phew. Our favorite child called Mary, so we're good. I'm not going to tell you who that was. My son doesn't even know it's Mother's Day. I'm just teaching. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. These guys will be glad to give you one. Whoa, we're in the dark. I didn't mean it. I was just kidding. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Take your Bibles and or your mobile devices and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. do want to make sure that, not just today, obviously, but every day we appreciate and honor those involved in our lives as moms and wives. And, and what a, We talk a lot in the church about relationships, about as Christians, everything that we do is about relationships. God is our father. We are brothers and sisters. We, it's, it's a family relationship. But on earth, those significant relationships, husband, wife, uh, are so special, and there's nothing, uh, I think, more special than than your relationship with your mom. But, uh, I know how special my mom was in, in my life, and uh, she had a lot of struggles uh, physically and mentally, and mom was just a, a, a special lady, and so for all of you, Thank you for what you do, and, and we do honor you today. I know your kids, sometimes you don't think that they honor you, but they will if, they, if they're not. Now, if they're teenagers, they don't honor anybody. So just relax and don't worry about it. It'll, it will get better. So uh, relationships are very special. It's, uh, I was reading a story this week about a husband and wife. that They were celebrating 50 years of marriage. And I was thinking about it because Mary and I have been married 43 years in, in August, and we were five when we got married. And as life, you know, you grow up together, even when you get married young, you grow up together in so many ways, and you, and you look back and you think, man, God has just blessed us. And they were having their 50th wedding anniversary, and they had a, their family had a party for them. They went to the party, and they went home, and they were just a great day. And, they're getting ready to go to bed, and they lay down and get in the bed like couples been married 50 years do. You just get in bed, and and she said, you know, when we got married 50 years ago, we used to cuddle. And he he said, oh, so he rolls over, and they're cuddling, and it's really nice. And a few minutes later, she goes, you know, when we got married 50 years ago, you used to kiss me goodnight. So he kisses her goodnight. A few minutes later, she says, you know, when we first got married 50 years ago, you used to nibble on my ear. He doesn't say anything. He, he gets up. He leaves the room. She goes, where are you? He gets ready to leave the room. She goes, where are you going? I got to go get my teeth. <laughs> I'm... You know, I'm proud of you because last week you didn't get the joke. You remember? It hurt me. 
So I went, I shared it with my precept class on Sunday night in Bartlett. And they were in the floor. They were laughing so hard. So I'm worried about you. But you did good today, so I'll have a good week now. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm laughing about that because I remember. I won't gross you out, but I remember my dad and my mom both had false teeth. And... I couldn't eat dinner with my dad. It was disgusting. That's all I'm saying. I'd say, Dad, can can I get up? He goes, no, you're going to sit here until we all finish. And I said, Dad, I can't take it. You you can't wash your teeth in your drink. (laughs) Oh, man. We better pray or do something. (laughs) What? I know. But I'm good. That's one of my spiritual gifts. All right, look at your handout. Look at the top of it. We've been looking at the church. And one of the things I want to make sure you see, we've we've, uh, covered point one, and as we're heading into point two, one of the things that's so thrilling about, for me, as I was studying this and going over it over and over again, and God just keeps reminding me of how special it is that we are his children. We are his family. We are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. All those euphemisms and metaphors that scripture uses to remind us of how special it is to be the church, the ecclesia, the the called out ones that God has said, hey, I'm going to use you to reveal to the world the great I am. Through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the great I am, I can know God and that we are truly rich. I don't know if it says that on, does it say that on your handout today? The church truly rich? Okay, good. I finally got it right. I'm proud of myself. It only took me three weeks. The church, that we're truly rich. What we looked at last week, or last couple of weeks, was number one. So I want you to look at that, and then we're gonna, we're gonna move into number two. That we are truly rich in grace. That God, grace, simply God giving us something we don't deserve, that we've been blessed and that we've been adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, had all these incredible things lavished on us as the body of Christ, as the church, as the called out ones, as the family of God. When we get to heaven in the great eternal state, the, the, the massive celebration is called the marriage supper of the Lamb, that we are the children of God. We are Christ's bride. So what I want to look at today is something that is mind-boggling in its significance to me. It's mind-boggling in, again, the encouragement and reminder of how significant who we are and what we do is to God and to our world. When Jesus Christ made it clear before he left the planet, one of the last things he said is, This is my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We win because of who Jesus Christ is. We win because we are in Christ. We win because he rose from the dead. We win because he died and gave to us the opportunity to have eternal life. He paid with his blood a price we could not pay. And then he lavishes us with all these amazing blessings of grace. So what I want to look at today is starting in chapter 1, verse 9. Number two on your handout is we are truly rich, not just in grace, but we are truly rich in glory. 
Glory is one of those church words that everybody throws around and uses all the time and nobody knows what it means. Glory to God. Okay, what does that mean? And you've heard me define it many times and I learned it years ago and it's been so significant in my life. I want to define it again. Glory the noun, but more specifically, glorify the verb. That we exist, the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's why we are here. We're going to see that very succinctly in just a moment. But let me define the word as we walk through number two. To glorify God, the verb, means in the literal, the original language, it means to give a correct estimate of what something is worth. For example, Beth was praying earlier and talking earlier about us worshiping and people driving up and down Highway 70 and and that that maybe they would be drawn to our worship. If you went up to anybody you know and asked them to define, if you went up to 20 people and asked them to define God for you, do you think you'd get the exact same 20 answers? You might get 20 different answers, mightn't you? And you might get some that were the same. But you're going to get a multitude of answers, aren't you? Because every one of us, You've heard me say a million times, every one of us has a belief system, whether you're saved or lost, whoever you might be, every human being has a philosophy of life. If if your philosophy of life is you're a devout follower of Jesus Christ, then that you're a Christian. Your philosophy of life is I want to be like Christ. I am a Christ follower. I am a Christian. I want to glorify God. I want you to know how much God means to me. You want, I want to give you a correct estimate of how valuable that is to me. For example, today being Mother's Day, if someone were to ask you, tell me how much you love your mom, you could go on and on about that, couldn't you? You could talk about how special your mom is and you want them to really know how much you love your mom and how special she's been to you. And, and then they ask your kids, tell me how much you love your mom and, and, Sometimes you, those, there are things you just can't, it means so much to you, you don't even know how to define it. I had a dear friend one time that was, uh, he, wasn't, he didn't like speaking in public, but he really had something that he wanted to share, and he got up to speak, and, and literally he was there for 10 minutes, and all he could do, it was so real to him, and it meant so much to him what he was going to share, all he could do was stand there and cry. Never said a word, cried for about five to six minutes, Trying to get started, he would try to start, couldn't. So finally, he, he just went and sat down, and I shared what. Now, I told him what he wanted to say, but who communicated more to them, me or him? He did. He did. Because they could see how much it meant to him. They could see how much he loved. It was a ministry opportunity. How much he loved that, how significant it had been to him and what he thought it might do in in their lives if they got involved. We all have those things. And so to glorify God, what we're about to look at means I want people to know who God is to me. I want them to get a correct estimate of what God is worth. I want them to know what the scriptures say about God. Everybody has an opinion, and we should value their opinion and their right to have their opinion. But the most important thing for us as the church, the body of Christ, is we don't want them 
to get an incorrect estimate of who our God is. We do not want them to get an incorrect estimate of who Jesus Christ is. We don't want them to get an incorrect estimate of what it means to know God. We want them to know the truth. Because what does truth do? It sets you free. And anything short of truth, even something very religious, something that does good things, but if it's short of the truth, it doesn't set you free. It's just a different kind of bondage. There's passive rebellion against God and there's active rebellion against God. But both are rebellion against God. And both will send you to separation from God eternally if you're not born again. So we want people to know a correct estimate of what God is worth to us and according to the word of God. And we share that, it's the whole idea we're going to see today, of glorifying We share that with them in gentleness and respect. Respect for their belief system, gently sharing with them what we believe the truth is in a loving, compassionate way, not to win an argument, but to win a soul, to win someone to a relationship with Jesus Christ so they can be set free, so they can know the one true God. So let's look at this. Verse 9, chapter 1 of Ephesians. Having made known to us, this is to the church, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. So we're truly rich in grace. We've seen that at great length over the last two weeks. Today, We're truly rich in this understanding of glory, who God really is, and that we want the world to know. Because what's going on here, the glory that he's talking about here in verses 9 and 10 is final redemption. When God wraps it all up, it's the answer to the problem of history. Everybody, as long as man has been on the planet, man is wanting to know who are we. Where did we come from? Where are we going? What is the history of man all about? We can see what the past, what's happened. We can see where we are presently. Just like, for example, our presidential election. And as we look toward the fall, most of us, if we're honest, we're we're scratching our heads going, that's it? That's that's our options? Oh, my God, what's going to happen to our country? But what I know is that my God who is sovereign over Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and anybody else that might run. My God, who is sovereign over the universe, is also sovereign over the United States of America. And so it's important for us to understand the institution that God is looking at to change America is not the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, or the system. It's the church. It's the church of Jesus Christ and the good news that we have, the gospel, because God is the only answer. He is. So this idea of glorifying, what he's saying in verses 9 and 10 is, the final goal of all of history, he is revealing in the word of God, and the church knows that, we get to glorify God, and we get to say to our world, this is what's coming. 
You better turn to Jesus Christ because without him, you have no hope. You have no future. Without him, you are lost. Andre Moreau, who's a French author, he's a veteran of World War II, wrote a ton of stuff. He wrote the following words. The universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we here upon this puny mud heap, spinning in infinite space? I have not the slightest idea, and I am quite convinced that no one else has it either. Guess what? He may be convinced. He may have been convinced. But I know who has the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you hold there in your hand or on your mobile device or your Bible, and in your spirit as a child of God, you know the answers. That should set you on fire inside. Jeremiah talked about it this way. He said, I just didn't want to talk about the things of God anymore. He was down. He was beaten. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet when we did the sermon series on him. And that great verse, it's always thrilled me to read it. At the lowest point of his life, he said, I'm not talking about God anymore. I'm, I'm wasting my time. I've had it. Have you ever felt that way? I have. At that lowest point in his life, Jeremiah said these words. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm paraphrasing. But then he said, I'm not paraphrasing this part. But it was like a burning in my bones. And I could not stop. We need to understand there is nothing more significant that you'll do today, tomorrow, next week, or for the rest of your life on this planet than to glorify God in every possible way that you can. Not by just talking about Jesus. That's a great way. But by being a Christ follower in every relationship and in everything that you do, you want people to see that you're not just somebody who goes to church. You're not somebody who just names the name Christ. You are a follower. He has changed you. You are immersed in him. The word baptized means you take a garment and you dip it in dye, and when it comes out, it's totally absorbed by the color of the dye you put it in. In other words, when Randy was baptized into Jesus Christ, I became a totally different piece of fabric. I was a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new, Paul said. So we get an opportunity to glorify God. And what he says is, history is heading toward a final destination. History is his story, the story of Jesus Christ, from the cross, the apex, down to the final destination. When Jesus comes back at the second coming, the last days will end. The day of the Lord will begin, and final judgment will come. We know that because we know the word of God. Man is searching for answers, always has been searching for the deep answers of life, the purpose for being here. And yet, look at verse 9 again. Of chapter 1. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. You see that? Having made known to us, the church, the mystery of his will. We talked about mysteries a few weeks ago. Mystery is a hidden truth that's finally made known open. A secret truth. God's made that known to the church through the word of God. And through us wants to make it known to the world. Let me read you the end. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. 
One of the greatest books in the Bible, Martin Luther called it, the constitution of our faith is the book of Romans. You could find everything in the book of Romans. It's a powerful book. At the end of that book, here's what Paul writes. The very last thing he writes in Romans is the following. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest or made evident, and by the prophetic scriptures have been made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. To God alone be the glory through Jesus Christ forever. To God be the glory, great things he has done. He continues to do, and he always will do, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to the church, he's made known the mystery of his will. Look at verse 9 again. Here's God's answer to those great questions that man has always asked, that he's made known to the church. We are truly rich in the opportunity to glorify God. And it's all about, verse 9, quote, His will, his good pleasure, he purposed in himself. It is about God. We exist to point people to God. We exist so that people can enter into a relationship with God because God is love. Everyone is looking to be genuinely loved. What it means to be loved in an unconditional, sacrificial, totally unselfish way. The Bible puts it this way. God loved us, so he gave. To know Christ is to know love. The cross is love. If I want to know what it means to be loved in a simply loved, for no other reason than the fact I exist, which is agape, Christ-like love. If I want to know, very simple object lesson, if I want to know what it means to be loved that way, simply look at the cross. Jesus died for no other reason than he loved you. He died to redeem you. He did not sin. He didn't have anything to pay for. He chose willingly to allow himself to be butchered to death the price he paid because he loved you, because he loved me. If nothing else, every day when I wake up, I need to say two things to God. Number one, thank you, God, for another day. And number two, please let me tell somebody about Jesus. I pray that every day. And guess what? There's not a day goes by I don't get a chance to do that. You know why? Because that's God's will for me. It's God's will for you. Don't pray it if you don't plan to do it. Because he's going to give you the opportunity and then you're going to go, ooh. Now, my personality is I, I love to talk. You probably picked up on that. But I love to talk about Jesus. Not to argue, not to fight. I want people to know how much I am loved by Jesus Christ and how much he loves them, even though they don't care anything about him. They don't want to know him. He still loves them anyway. And you know why, by the way, you know why Jesus has not come back yet? We were studying First Thessalonians in our precept class. And last week's lesson was about the fact in their lifetime, First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that great passage about Jesus coming back, uh, catching up the church. You know what? They believed Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. 
in every generation since. Turn on somebody about prophecy. What are they going to tell you? Look at the signs around you. Jesus has got to be coming back soon. How long have they been saying that? 2,000 plus years. I was joking Wednesday night with my class. I said, you know, 2,000 years from now, our relatives are going to be sitting here going, I wonder, wonder when he's coming back. You know, they, they always have said he's coming back. I think he's coming back soon. What do you think? Now, he might come back today. He might come back before I finish this sermon. If he does, uh, who wants to be in charge? Uh, if you want to be in charge, I'd like to speak to you afterwards. All we know is he is coming back, and we're going to be with him, and we're going to be together with our loved ones again in the church forever. Comfort one another with these words that passage ends. We know he's coming back. We're thrilled about it. And every day I want to tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Glorify him. I want them to know who Jesus really is, not what somebody's told them, not what they think, not what they've heard, not what they've seen. Think about it this way. Without raising your hands, just pause for a moment. How many of you or somebody you know dearly has had a bad experience in church somewhere? Been hurt badly. I know I have. I can name a lot of people in this room I know have. By many times other Christians. By Christian leaders. Is it any wonder the world looks at the church and says, I don't need that. I really don't. As many times they care more about each other in their worldliness than we do in the body of Christ. We've got to change that. We have to let them know who Jesus really is by, the Bible says, you know how they'll know that we're different? Because we love each other. We accept each other unconditionally, without strings attached. I love you because you exist. It does not mean we're going to exist. We're going to agree on every little thing. But we could love each other anyway and proceed Man's desire, I want to know. So look at verse 10. God tells us that the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he will gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. He says it twice. So here he tells us, the church, understand this. Share this with your world. At some point in the future, it's called the fullness of the times. In other places, in Romans, he calls it the fullness of the times of the Gentiles. And other times, when it's all wrapped up at some point in the future, we know, and we need to share with our world, this is coming. Number one, he's going to gather everything together in heaven and on, on earth. He's going to gather them together. And that means, that phrase, gather together, in Greek means sum it all up. I'm going to wrap all of history up at some point in the future, and here's what I'm going to do. Secondly, I'm going to do it in Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth is going to be wrapped up in Christ at some point in the future. So here it is. Here's what you know. Here's what you get to glorify God in. Knowledge of the future. You have knowledge of the future. You're psychic. You didn't even know that, did you? We joked before. Remember the psychic hotline? Remember that thing, how cool everybody thought that was? And then it went out of business? I saw somebody the paper wrote, shouldn't they have seen that coming? I'll let you chew on that one. You'll find that funny later. You'll be driving around this afternoon, you go, <laughs> that was really funny. Kind of like the one last week that you didn't get about the penguins. I've still heard over that one. All right. At some point in the future, he's going to sum it all up. 
in Christ. Not just in Christ, but under the headship of Christ. Going to gather it all together. So God's final plan of ultimate restoration for the universe, all creation, is under the headship of Christ. That's called paradise regained. Adam lost it. Paradise lost. Jesus bought it back. And when he comes back, he's going to sum it all up. Now listen, that's what we get to share with people. You can reject Christ. He loves you anyway. He died for you anyway. But there's a day coming when he's coming back and he's going to judge it. It's going to all be summed up and he will be your final judge. You're going to stand before him one day. It's coming. He loves you. He died for you. Secondly, verse 11 and 12. We get the glory not only in that we know the future, but also our inheritance. Our inheritance, verse 11. In him, Christ, also we, the church, have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Here's the context again. All things. In him, there's that phrase again, you see it several times. In him, in Christ, all things, heaven, earth, are going to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And also in the future, what awaits us is an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. The Greek is, it's absolutely certain. I love this and and the way Paul puts it here, and especially over in uh, Romans. He puts it this way. The tense of that verb there, it's yours, you're going to gain it in the future when you die. But it's your present reality right now. You own it. You possess it. It's yours. Now, my, my, my children, I have three children. When are they going to get their inheritance from me? Never. <laughs> Somebody knows me. Never. You know why? I ain't got nothing. But as a Christian, when did you get your inheritance? In eternity past, God knew you. You're born again. It's yours. It's your present reality. You'll get it fully when you die. But right now you have the peace of God, which passes all understanding. You're at peace with God. You're his child. You have hope, confident expectation. You have, you know love. All the things the world wants, you've already got. That's why we get to glorify God. We already got it. We need to share it. Quit hoarding it. Give it away. Share it with somebody else. One of the saddest things that I encounter on a regular basis happened to me again this week with a family member. I'm sharing Christ with them. And it's just not for me, Randy. And this cousin, she's an alcoholic, struggling with life. Same age as me. We grew up together. Her life is miserable. But she don't think Jesus can help her. And I know what? He's her only hope. He's the only one that's going to help her. He's her only hope. Not just for now, but for forever. Don't you think we should be motivated to tell people those things? I'm talking, I'm not just talking about just people that you love, family members, friends, people you care about. People you hate. Hopefully you don't hate anybody. But people that hate you, guess what? You ought to pray for them. By the way, you're not 
given an option. Jesus commanded you to pray for them, to love them. He even said, go out of your way, do something nice for them. So they'll see that you mean it, that you're real. You want to glorify God. But this idea of inheritance is so powerful. It's ours. Look at chapter 2, verse 6 for a moment. Chapter 2, verse 6, same book. Here's part of our inheritance. Future, final, destination. He's raised us up together, the church. Raised us up, present tense, reality, verb. Made us sit together, present tense, reality, verb. Made us sit together, where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In another place, Paul put it this way. You're a citizen of heaven. You don't live here. You're just here on vacation for God. You're a citizen of heaven. One day you're going to go home. We talked about it again at First Thessalonians. We talked about a tent. What's a tent? Temporary domicile. We don't, nobody lives in a tent all the time. Some people do, I realize, but most people don't live in a tent. My wife would live in a tent about 30 seconds. I don't think she's ever been in a tent that I know of. What do you do with a tent when you're through with it? You strike it, put it down, and where do you go? Home. Paul puts it this way in the scripture. One of these days we're going to put this earthly tent aside and we get a brand new body, an eternal, spiritual, immortal, imperishable body. Man, that's yours. In Christ, you currently possess that. That belongs to you and you'll get it one day. It's in the vault. Nobody can take it from you. Nobody can steal it. Nobody else can have it. It's yours in Jesus Christ. Verse 11, we have obtained. In another place, Paul puts it this way. We are joint heirs with Christ in Romans. And that means you will inherit in him everything. Not a little bit of it, but all. Because we're his body. He's the head. We're his body. We're his bride. We're one in Christ. We're going to inherit it all. That's your inheritance. We get the glory in that. We are rich beyond measure. Obtained, verse 11. See the word in him, we have obtained an inheritance. That means we possess, but it also means something else. I don't know that I've ever shared this. This is really thrilling to me, and I discovered it last week. Studying this even further, it also means it can be translated two ways and both fit the text. So please hang with me for a second. One, we are an inheritance. We possess an inheritance we've obtained, but please, this is where you should really get excited. It also means that not only have you obtained an inheritance, it also means you are, you are an inheritance. What? Look at verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of God's calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know how God looks at you? Man, it's so thrilling. You know how God looks at you? You are his inheritance. You know, we talk about inheritance that my, my kids can't wait for me to die to get nothing. You know what? The Bible makes it clear that as a family of God, as the children of God, you know how much you love your children? The Bible, we call God Father. He says, if you earthly fathers know how to give your children good gifts, how much more does your heavenly Father know? Several times it's put different ways that God, how much God loves us and as a father, 
He can't wait to gather his little chicks together. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. When we die, where do we go? We go home. We go to the Father's house. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. I'm going to get your place ready. Here's the way God looks at you. I love you. You're my children. I got you down there doing a job for me right now. Tell everybody about me. Glorify me. But one point, there's a point appointed unto you once to die after that judgment. But when you die, you go home and your daddy grabs you and he holds you. He says, welcome home, son. I sure missed you. I love you. Welcome home. You are his inheritance. That's the double meaning of this. That's why it's so significant. People don't think about God that way. Memphis is the buckle of the Bible battle. We're so screwed up spiritually in Memphis, it's beyond belief. We need people to know who God really is. He's your heavenly father who can't wait to hug you and have a family reunion. You are his inheritance. Matter of fact, I want to do something. I want you to flip over to John 17 for just a minute. If you would, John 17. This is part of the Upper Room Discourse, one of my favorite. Many of you know how much I love the book of John. I just love it. Chapters 13 through 17 is the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus' last night on earth, the Last Supper, he's preparing them for his departure. He's going away and he's getting them ready. And all the great spiritual truths that he teaches in John 13 through 16. And then in chapter 17, he begins to pray. And it is so amazing. As he prays, look at verse, this is in the upper room discourse. These guys do not want him to go away. They're terrified. Jesus, I got to go away. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. All those great truths. Now look at chapter 17, verse one. Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, father, the hour has come. This is the eternal pre-universe hour that they knew about going to the cross. Glorify your son. Give a correct estimate of your son. That your son may glorify you. That the son may give a correct estimate of who God the father is. Father glorifies the son. The son glorifies the father. The people see Jesus. They see God. Now verse 2. As you have given him authority over all flesh. All flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Verse 6. I have manifested your name. To the men whom you've given me out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me. They have kept your word. Verse 9, I pray for them. Please note this. This is amazing to me. I pray for them, talking about the ones in the room specifically. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Glorified in them. Hang on. 
Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those you've given me, that we may be, that they, excuse me, may be one as we are. That's how unified he wants us to be. As unified as the Trinity is. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. None of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now go to verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's high and go back to Ephesians now. This high, holy view of the church. One last thing about that, and then we're going to wrap up. We are his inheritance, the church. He can't wait for us to come home, to be together. In that same prayer, Jesus prayed for us. He said, Lord, I don't just pray for them, but I pray for those who will believe through them. That's you and I. Jesus Christ was praying for us, our unity, so that we glorify God. When we go out into the world, they see who God really is. Verse 12 of Ephesians 1. That we who first trusted in Christ, those of us who are believers, Christians, should be to the praise of his glory. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to share this and then we're going to be done. First, you don't have to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1 says these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again or saved us to a living hope, living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. Notice how his inheritance, our inheritance is described. Incorruptible undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The day is coming when ultimate and final salvation will be revealed. New heaven, new earth, new universe. In the interim, we are his inheritance to go out into the world to glorify our Father because we already have our inheritance. Nobody can take it away from us. It's reserved in heaven for us. If you're born again, if nothing else, I hope you can walk out of here today and realize how special you are to God. Brag on your daddy. Brag on your daddy. Because he loves everybody. Jesus died for them. He wants them saved. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we pause before you again as our Father. Not just a word we throw out there, not just a term we use, but a relationship. You're our dad. As Christians, Lord, I pray we'd be excited as always. Every week we'd be motivated to leave here and live the Christ life. Not just say I go to church or be a good person, but let people brag on our dad. We're rich in grace 
share that. We're rich in the glory of God. Share that. Let them know. Let people around us know who God really is, not who they think he is. Respect their beliefs. Respect their right to believe. But then share with them who God is to us, what scripture says he is. So they'll get a correct estimate of what God is worth, to glorify him. We thank you for that privilege. I pray we'd be excited about that. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a believer, they would realize maybe this morning for the first time, Jesus died for me. He loved me that much. I want that inheritance. I want that hope. I want that peace. I want that joy. I need to know that love. That right now at this moment, they would just say, like the thief on the cross, Jesus, remember me. Save me. I I need you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.